You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. You know, as we're ending chapter four today, Paul is really winding up his massive coordinated attack against the false teaching that's happening in Galatia. Uh, that, that Jesus and circumcision is what saves you, or Jesus and living like a Jew is what saves you. He rejects all additives to Jesus and shows us the nature of radical grace. And guys, today, this passage, uh, beginning in 21 through the end, is the strangest one in the whole book. I can't even pretend like this is an easy section. This is really difficult, really strange, but I think we can synthesize Paul's argumentation with, with one question. Who's your mama? Not who's your daddy. We already learned about praying to our Abba Father. So he knows, you know who your daddy is. Now, you gotta know who's your mother. So as we do every week, if you're able, let's stand together for the reading of God's word. And we'll begin in verse 19 of chapter four. And the apostle Paul tells us beginning in verse 19, my children, I am again suffering labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you. I'd like to be with you right now and change my tone of voice because I don't know what to do about you. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, don't you hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave and the other by a free woman. But the one by the slave was born as a result of the flesh, while the one by the free woman was born through promise. These things are being taken figuratively. For the, woman represent, for the women represent two covenants, One is from Mount Sinai and bears children into slavery. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar represents Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she's in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, childless woman, unable to give birth. Burst into song and shout, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate woman will be many, more numerous than those of the woman who has a husband. Now, You too, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of the promise. But just as then the children born as a result of the flesh persecuted the one born as a result of the spirit, so also now. But what does the scripture say? Drive out the slave and her son. For the son of the slave will never be a co-heir with the son of the free woman. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of a slave, but of the free woman. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us now as we look at your word. These things that are being taken figuratively and these things that are showing us now your grace and what it means for us today to live as free people, free people in Christ. Help us, King Jesus. And it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. They're not as popular today, but they should be. If you've ever done those magic eye posters, you know how rewarding they are. And you stare and you stare and you stare and then it happens. The rocket ship comes off the page. The castle is there and what looks like this garbled mess is actually a highly organized and intentional layout. After staring and staring, it happens. You see it. And what we just stared at, what we just read is Paul's magic eye poster. Two sons, two moms, two mountains, two covenants, two cities. After staring and staring and staring, and then the Holy Spirit makes it pop in your mind. And guys, there is a lot going on here. I mean, literally, this is like a five-layer cake. And if you've ever baked 
or done any baking? You ever bake a five-layer cake? You know that's a lot of work. But if you've ever eaten a five-layer cake, you know that's a lot of work, but I'm going to do it. And so we're going to look at this passage. It's a lot of work, but by the power of the Spirit, we can do it. So before we stare at Paul's poster, we need to get in our minds, what's really driving Paul here? What's Paul's concern? Why fight legalism? That's in verse 19 and 20. So look at 19 again. I know Pastor Barry covered some of this last week, but it's good for us to be reminded kind of what's setting the stage of Paul's battle. My children, he telling the Galatians, I am again suffering labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you. The reason Paul does all this is because he wants them, he wants Jesus to be there all. He wants Jesus to be there everything and nothing else. See, listen guys, being a Christian isn't primarily, it's not primarily about following the teachings of Jesus. Not primarily. It's not about the ethics and the pattern of Jesus first and foremost. And a lot of people, especially people in the Bible Belt, they think being a Christian is just adopting some Christianly habits. I go to church services on Sundays, unless something more important comes up, like it's sports or sleeping in. I don't commit big sins, and I don't worship other gods. So, I, yeah, I'm a Christian. Listen, not being a Buddhist doesn't make you a Christian. Not worshiping Allah doesn't make you a Christian. Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. You know what makes you a Christian? Christ. Christ alone makes us Christians. This is Paul's battle. Only Christ can make us Christians. Only Jesus can give us the righteousness of Jesus. Jesus in circumcision won't do it. Jesus in law keeping, Jesus in mission trips, Jesus in Bible reading, these will not give us the righteousness we need before God. Paul is fighting all of the legalistic tendencies that we turn to that we think will make us more like Jesus. Friends, Jesus makes us like Jesus. Jesus gives us the standing we need. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus gives us the transformation we need. This is why Paul says, I am in labor pains. I've seen labor twice. Can't imagine. I've had a kidney stone, but I don't dare compare. Listen, every mother in this room, I want you to enjoy this moment because you know better than the Apostle Paul here. He's never been in labor pains. You have. So enjoy this rare moment where you know better than the Apostle Paul and then everyone right here. You know those labor pains. You can take what you've experienced, what you felt, and you can see what Paul's saying. This is what I feel towards you, Galatians. I'm in labor pains for you. I'm, I'm angry. I'm in pain. I'm screaming because I want you to be formed into Christ. His goal, he says in 19, I'm again suffering labor pains for you again. I already did this once and I'm doing it again for Christ until Christ is formed in you. Meaning I want you only relying on Christ. I want you only depending on Christ. I want you to be transformed to the image of Christ. So friends, ask yourself, what are you relying on to make you like Christ? What are you relying on to justify you, to sanctify you, to redeem you, to transform you? Is it worship music? 
Worship music does not transform you. Is it sermons? Sermons can't justify you, make you righteous. Is it Bible reading? Even Bible reading can't do it. Because, beloved, worship music, sermons, Bible reading, they are not the X factor of the Christian life. Christ is the X factor. These things bring Christ to our minds, bring Christ to our hearts, align us with Christ, set us on the path to encounter the power of the risen Christ in our lives, reminding us of the cross, our sins paid for, reminding us of the empty tomb, new life given to us. The law doesn't bring these things. Legalism doesn't bring these things. Christ and Christ alone. And that's where Paul's gonna take us. Only the promises of God. So Paul's gonna establish his haymaker against those who want to be under the law. So now I want you to just hang in there. This is a bumpy ride, but the poster will pop. Let's look at verse 21 and follow the trend of self versus grace. 21, so tell me, You who want to be under the law, don't you hear the law? He's pleading with these Galatian Christians, the ones who are on the tipping point, on the verge of going, yeah, Jesus plus circumcision or Jesus plus law keeping. This is what will save us. And he says, don't don't you know? Don't you hear the law? If you want it, you should listen to what the law says. Because if you knew what the law says, you don't want it. Verse 22, for it is written, so he's appealing from the Old Testament, that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave, and the other by a free woman. Now, the Jewish people trace their significance back to Abraham. He is the granddaddy figure for them. And I think one reason why us, Gentile Christians here in the Bible Belt, why this section is so convoluted to us is that if we're honest, we just don't know our Old Testament very well. If you, if you read this and you feel like you just got off of the teacups at Disney World, It's probably because your Old Testament bearings are a little weak. But we need to know and love the Old Testament. It's more than half your Bible. And Jesus loved the Old Testament, read it, enjoyed it, preached it, and understood correctly. The Old Testament's all about him. So Paul makes this giant case from the Old Testament that Abraham had two sons, okay? Isaac and Ishmael. Isaac was born from Sarah, Abraham's wife. Ishmael was born from Hagar their servant, which Paul likens to their slave who's trapped, no privileges of the spouse because Abe's married to Sarah. Now we can't push the words too hard here or be overly literal because look at the verse 24. Look what Paul says. These things are being taken figuratively. Paul says, I'm I'm making an analogy. I'm making a case from these scenarios. I'm weaving a bunch of things together here, making an analogy and look at it, verse 23. How do these things come about? 23, but the one by the slave, Hagar, was born as a result of the flesh. While the one, you should underline flesh, while the one by the free woman, Sarah, was born through the promise. I'd underline promise. So Hagar gave birth to Ishmael because of the flesh. The free woman, Sarah, gave birth to Isaac because of the promise. So, okay, now you gotta remember, all the way back in Genesis, what happened? God made a promise to Abraham and Sarah. You're gonna have a son. And he'll be your offspring. He's going to bless the nations through his line, through everything, inheritance, all coming through this son. Even though their bodies seemed way beyond the years of childbearing, God says, it's going to happen, I promise. Well, then they get impatient. They get tired of waiting on God's promise to be fulfilled. So they said, we'll take care of this ourselves. And Abraham has a child with Hagar, Ishmael. 
which Paul calls a result of the flesh, not lust flesh, not passions flesh, but self flesh. Human effort, self-reliance, not passion and lust. The I'll take this matter into my own hands fleshiness. That's why Ishmael came to be. And then 14 years later, God fulfills his promise, even when Sarah and Abraham are even more advanced in years, and Isaac is born. And the blessing, the inheritance, the Jewish ancestry flows through Isaac, the child of promise. So here's what Paul's doing. I want you to see it. You have Hagar and Isaac, Hagar and Ishmael because of the flesh, self-reliance, depending on yourself, taking matters into your own hands. And you have Sarah and Isaac, a result of the promise. Here's what Paul's doing. There are two ways to operate in this world. You can rely on God's promises or you can rely on your own power. These are the options. Abraham relied on his own power at one point and got Ishmael, but no blessing, no inheritance, none of it. But then look at how good God is. After Abraham bumbled the promises of God. God doesn't scrap his promise to Abraham. He still fulfills it and gives them Isaac. God keeps his promise. So we can either operate and rely on our own power or we can trust God's promises. Even when we mismanage our lives, when we rely on our own power and our own accomplishments, taking matters into our own hands, pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps, sola bootstrapa. Sola fide, faith alone still remains. Sola gratia, grace alone is still available. Solus Christus, Christ alone is still available. Radical grace in God's promises redeems and remedies our lives. So Paul is laying out this case for the Galatians and for us to say, you really wanna trust your own effort? You wanna trust your own flesh, your own works? Or do you wanna trust God's promises? Ask yourself, where do you think you have to prove or contribute to your salvation? What do you think you have to prove to God? Do you think you have to contribute to your salvation? Or right now, are you trusting God's promise completely that whoever believes in Jesus will not perish but will have everlasting life? Done. No asterisks, no additional clauses, period. Are you relying on God's promise that whoever believes in his son will not be put to shame? That's the way of Isaac. But relying on self, relying on your good works, relying on your achievements and what you can do in addition to God's promises is the way of Ishmael. And this is huge. It wasn't like Abraham and Sarah came up with some like totally different plan. They added to God's promise. They took God's promise into their own hands and said, well, we know he promised through Sarah, but we can go here with Hagar and everything will be okay. Legalism begins with the promises and grace of God and then adds our effort, as you see with Abraham and Hagar. It's not death, it's life. Listen, legalists, they quote a lot of Bible. Legalists aren't quoting from the Book of Mormon. They add to God's promises. They they take what's in the scriptures. They quote the Old Testament, they quote the New Testament, and they add to it. But Paul says, this is not life. This is crushing. This is not liberating. Because what we see next from Paul, these two kids, these two women, they represent more. Look at verse 24. These things are being taken figuratively. For the women represent two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai. 
and bears children into slavery. This is Hagar. Okay, so two covenants. Mosaic covenant, the law, and now the new covenant, one of grace, promise, where God says, I'm gonna write my law on your hearts, not on stone tablets. I'm gonna write it on your heart. I'm gonna remove your heart of stone. I'm gonna give you a heart of flesh. I'm gonna renew a right spirit within you. Okay, so they represent two covenants, Mosaic and new. And also he's now two mountains, Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai, where the law was first made known. Listen, it is not inviting. It is not liberating. You touch it, you die. Mount Zion, which is assumed here, is about grace, freedom, and eternity. And now look where Paul takes us. Keep following the flow. Verse 25. Now, Hagar represents Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds, okay, Paul, something else, to the present Jerusalem. For she, this present Jerusalem, is in slavery with her children. Now, Paul takes us to two cities. So you've got two covenants, two mountains, two women, two kids, two cities. Mount Sinai is this present Jerusalem. And what's with the present Jerusalem here in Galatia? It's occupied by Rome. It's not free. Even today, it's not free. Full of unbelief and slavery with her children like Hagar. But, verse 26, but the Jerusalem above is free. That new Jerusalem to come out of the heavens that Revelation talks about. She is free. Church, do you need a flow chart? I did. <laughs> I do, so I made one, a little chart for you, okay? <laughs> Paul's way smarter than all of us put together. This is what we need. Hagar, this is his line of reasoning that we're either on one side or the other. Hagar gave birth to Ishmael, out, born out of self-reliance, not trusting God's promises. And that's where the Mosaic Covenant links up with, where you're saved by works, which can't happen. And that's where the present Jerusalem is, trapped. And the kids of that present Jerusalem, the citizens of that place, legalists, who want to be righteous by the law, righteous by self, Pharisees. Now, Sarah, she gave birth to Isaac, born of God's promise, not of their own doing, but by their own inability, but by God's promise and power. And that's where the new covenant is, one of faith. And that's where the Jerusalem above is, that's free. And the kids of that new Jerusalem, that's the Christians who are made righteous by faith. You're on one side or the other. Who's your mama? Hagar or Sarah? The bombshell here is on the Hagar side. The law, Mount Sinai, the current Jerusalem, these are all things that Jewish people here in Galatia, Jewish false teachers in today, that, they, that they're obsessed with. And Paul says, no, these things are on the wrong side of history, as the kids say. And to the Jewish false teachers, this was majorly offensive because they found power in Mount Sinai and the law and having Jerusalem be their city. Man, there's always been drama around Jerusalem. Always. And today there's still drama around Jerusalem. And Paul would, you know what Paul would say about all this? He would say, you know what side of Jerusalem you need to be on? The new one. Quit clinging to the Jerusalem of old. It dooms you. The Jerusalem above is where you want to be. So who is your mother, Hagar or Sarah? Look at, look at verse 26. Here's our mother. But the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mama. She's our mother. Dr. Seuss taught us a lot. The ugly, dunk, ugly duckling teaches us a lot. 
You need to meet your mother. The new Jerusalem, Sarah. We've learned how to say Abba, Father. And now we need to say the new Jerusalem is our mother. Where is your ancestry? Hagar or Sarah? Self-reliance or God's promises? Where are you today? Maybe you have totally bumbled and mismanaged your life. And you've been cobbling together your works and trying to prove to God that he should save you and that you really are a good person. Here's what we all need to know. God doesn't save people that are full of goodness. He doesn't save people that are full of reasons why he should save them. Jesus didn't die for people who are packed with spiritual fruit. In fact, God saves people who are barren, who have nothing, who are empty, and he gives them life. Look at verse 27. For it is written, rejoice, childless woman, the one unable to give birth, burst into song and shout, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate woman will be many. You know what he says? We have nothing to offer. We are not able to be fruitful and multiply. Our production line is not producing. Rejoice. God will save you. God takes those who can't do anything for themselves and God does everything. God takes people who can't add a single thing to their salvation and he adds everything we need. Listen, when we trust in the death of Jesus for our sins, you know what you're also doing? This might be the most significant moment of your life. When you trust in the death of Jesus, what you are doing is you are also detrusting yourself. And maybe that's exactly what some of us need to do today. We need to be saved from ourselves. We need to be saved from our own versions of Christianity. We need to be saved from Christianity and saved to Christ. You need to lose trust in yourself, in your efforts, in your goodness, and completely trust in Jesus for everything. Detrusting yourself and trusting him, his cross and his empty tomb, all of it, and you will be saved now and forever. And you will be a child of the promise. That's where he goes next in verse 28 and 31. We do live as children of the promise. Look what he says in verse 28. So now you too, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, we aren't Hank, we aren't Ishmael. We aren't of Mount Sinai. We're like Isaac. We are children of promise. Trust God's promises, not your power. This is what he's saying. Don't live the way of Ishmael. Live the way of Isaac. Live and rely on God's promises, not self-reliance. But know this, verse 29. But just then, just as then, the child born as a result of the flesh, Ishmael persecuted the one born as a result of the spirit, Isaac. So also now. He says, remember, Ishmael bullied Isaac. Legalists bully Christians. He's telling them, you know what's happening in Galatia? You are being bullied by Ishmael. They are not your friends. They are not helping you. They are bullying you. Listen, beloved, the greatest threat to a healthy church is not outside the church, it's inside. The greatest threat to a healthy church is inside the church. 
As John Stott says in his commentary on Galatians, the persecution of the true church of Christian believers who trace their spiritual descent from Abraham is not always by the world who are strangers unrelated to us, but by our half-brothers, religious people, the nominal church. The greatest enemies of the evangelical faith today are not unbelievers who hear the gospel and often embrace it, but it is the church, the establishment, the hierarchy. Isaac is always mocked and persecuted by Ishmael. If you've ever been around legalists, you know this. They're the ones puffing up their chest, throwing their opinions around like the law. They're the ones bullying others into extra requirements to be Christians. Like with things like, you can't drink alcohol and be a mature Christian. You just, you just can't. I've never met anyone on the flip side go, who was walking around going, you got to drink mojitos if you want to be mature. Because legalists preach slavery. Christians preach freedom. Legalists preach slavery. Christians preach freedom. And for us, beloved, when we are tempted to force our opinions, your ways, your convictions onto others, we are living like legalists. And I'm not talking about obedience to Scripture. Obeying the way of Christ matters. I mean, Paul's going to go next in chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit and what it means to be free, what it means to follow Jesus, and how we honor him with our lives. So Paul's not saying obedience doesn't matter. What Paul is getting to about relying on the law, what I'm talking about, about elevating ourselves, pushing others down, hemming others in with our own ideas, this makes us legalists. Making our own Mount Sinai's, making our own molehills. And actually today, we make our own Sinai soapboxes. We're not powerful enough to make mountains. We make soapboxes. Our own little Sinai soapboxes where we have other messages we want to preach. Do you have any Sinai soapboxes? And actually, you're not the best person to ask, so ask your spouse. Ask your friends. Ask your kids. What's, what's my soapbox? And if it is anything other than the radical grace of God, torch that thing and cling to grace. Cling to the gospel. We don't need any Sinai soapboxes. We have a cross and we have an empty tomb and we have Christ. So drive out legalism. That's verse 30. But what does the scripture say? Drive out the slave and her son, for the son of the slave will never be a co-heir with the son of the free woman. Legalists are not co-heirs. He says, drive out legalism. And here's where we must begin. Ask God to drive it out of your own heart first. Don't be like the Pharisees who are like whitewashed tombs, look good on the outside, but inside full of dead men's bones. And remember what our Lord says, don't look at your brother's speck. Well, you can have a two by four hanging out of your face. Ask God to drive legalism out of your heart first. To drive it out of your family, drive it out of your marriage, drive it out of your parenting. Ask God to drive it out of the church. Legalism is illegal in the kingdom of Christ. There is no trespassing here. Fake harmony, legalism produces fake harmony, superficial fellowship. There's no room for that in the kingdom of Christ. Paul says, drive it out. Bye, Felicia. Get it out of here. We have to stand up to legalism. 
you know, my wife's grandfather, Baxley. He has this great phrase. He spent a lot of time in the Middle East and military and, and doing medical work. And sometimes he would leave dinner and he would just, you know, leave our house and he'd be like, all right, see you, Nat, see you, Jeff, watch out for terrorists. And he would just leave. Kind of his like parting thing that he would just say. So I've stolen that. Sometimes I'll finish an email or tell people bye. Like, all right, Skeet, I'll see you later. Watch out for legalists and just go. Watch out for legalists. The one in the mirror, the one in the community, the one who's even a good friend, you may call. Drive out legalism. We must stand up to it because a message that you get righteous by something other than Christ or in addition to Christ has no place in the kingdom of Christ. Live as children of the promise. Live as those crucified and raised with Christ, not as those looking to add to Christ, not as those wanting to trust their own effort like Hagar and Ishmael and Sinai and the present Jerusalem, but live as children of the promise of Isaac, of the new covenant, of the new Jerusalem, of Christ. And once we see that, I think the gospel will pop even bigger and larger to you than all the magic eye posters in the world. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.